fine. Okay, perfectly fine. Fine. Okay, fine. 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 You're listening to Everything is Fine in Southwest Washington, a political podcast where we recognize that everything is not at all fine and discuss what we can do about it. I'm Carissa. And I'm Sydney. Welcome to your classroom. No, not really. But today's going to be a little more... Um, Sciencey, Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> a little more intellectual, a little more nerdy, maybe. We just thought, um, given that we're doing a climate series, it might be good to do like a primer on climate change. What is it? Kind of different factors before we get into more fun stuff, like who is responsible in later episodes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge is power. And it's always good to like, you can not know everything and still believe the scientific consensus on climate change. But of course, it's good for everybody's understanding to like, Get to know the basics if you don't already, um, and be able to ex- ex- hopefully explain that to others. Um, I think so. Yeah, and plus this stuff is fascinating. This stuff's <laughs> awesome. I just did a whole class on this, but I'm definitely not an expert. So I'm not an expert either. I don't like that <laughs> phraseology. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> so it's fresh in your mind. There might be things that you remember or know that I do not. So climate change, we kind of talked about in the last episode, right, is the changes in weather patterns and precipitation patterns over time, basically, is what we're talking about. Okay. So remember, climate is a bunch of mini weathers. So why is the climate changing um, so quickly? You you might not think it's quick, but it's very quick um, on a geologic time scale. So geologic time, you think about like the Pleistocene, like these areas with dinosaurs, like that's geologic time when you think Mm -hmm. about that. So these changes have occurred in the last 100 to 120 years, really started ramping up in like the 1950s. So in the last like 70 years. So climate change is occurring because of the greenhouse gas effect, the greenhouse effect with greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. They're called greenhouse gases because of how they function like a greenhouse. So maybe people don't have a greenhouse, but there's um, another example I like to use is a car. So we've all gotten in our hot car on, you know, a hot summer day. And what happens is um, hot objects radiate at a different wavelength than colder objects. So hot objects like the sun radiate shortwave radiation. It's Wien's law of radiation. And so that shortwave radiation can get through the glass of your car, but then your car is not a hot object. It's a cooler object. And so it radiates longer wave radiation that is then trapped by that glass. The same is true of greenhouse gases in our atmosphere. That long wave radiation can make it through the greenhouse gases. And then the short wave radiation emitted by our earth gets trapped. So that traps all the heat. So the more greenhouse gases, the thicker the glass in your car or the thicker the greenhouses, the less of that can get back out. And so those those gases are like smudging the windows of the atmosphere is what I learned. Yeah. Or like, we'll say like putting on another blanket like preventing more from getting out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like thicker glass or those are all good analogies. Just less of that can escape. So the more we pump into our atmosphere, yeah, we smudge the windows a little bit more so things can't get out. And you can actually like a fun experiment and you'll see them do this um, at the National Weather Service office is those like pre-bake break apart cookies on a hot day. You can put those on your dash on like a cookie sheet and bake cookies in your car. Like that's how hot it can get in your car. It's why you don't leave your pets or your kids in your car on a hot day, right? You can <laughs> right. bake cookies. Anyway, so that's greenhouse gases, greenhouse gas effect, what's causing our climate to change. Okay. And 
there's those, what are those main greenhouse gases? Are we going to go into that? Or? Certainly. There are four main greenhouse gases. Can I guess? Yeah, let's do it. You want to take number one. What's the number one uh, most prominent greenhouse gas in our atmosphere? Carbon. Carbon. CO2. Correct. Methane. Carbon dioxide. And then okay. methane. Methane. Uh, nitrous oxide. Yep. Nitrous oxide. And water vapor. Nope. Fluorinated gases. Ooh, what's that? Uh, hydrofluorocarbons. It's a group of fluorinated gases. Oh, those are like the refrigerant stuff? Yeah. So water vapor okay. is, that's that can be our fifth one we talk about because that's actually interesting and feeds into feedback loops. So the f- okay. we'll, we can talk about the five. We'll make it five. Okay. <laughs> so obviously CO2, we all know, methane, nitrous oxide, and then this it's a group. So it's kind of a trick question, right? It's a group of fluorinated gases. And that's oh, okay. about 3%. And then water vapor can vary. And water vapor, you might think, what the hell? Like, of course, that's in our atmosphere. But yeah, when- it doesn't sound nefarious. Or yeah, yeah. Like but there are feedback loops, right? Like, so if we start with water, the more water vapor in the air, the warmer, the warmer the atmosphere is, the more water evaporates into the air. And so that's a positive feedback loop. Um, we can talk about feedback loops more later, maybe. But so that's how water vapor yeah, plays those a role. Are fascinating too. Yeah, totally and terrifying. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> and we've Certain already experienced ones, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we all know carbon, right? Carbon mostly is in our atmosphere from the fact that we burn a shit ton of it, right? We burn it for everything, um, for our transportation. It's, you know, we burn it to make plastics, all those things. I don't know if that's even worth going into how carbon gets, because it seems so obvious, right? Quit burning gasoline. Yeah. (laughs) Easy. Um, Methane is a gas that is a natural gas. And so methane is largely released from fracking, so natural gas fracturing, fracturing of the ground to get natural gas out to power, you know, our gas fireplaces and to warm our homes and to power our stoves. And methane, a lot of methane comes from uh, these methane wells that are just left to off gas. 17% of the gas they drill for just leaks into the atmosphere. And when they're done with it, when it's not profitable, they don't even have to legally cap it. It can just continue leaking which is, yeah. And, yeah. So just no regulation on them just leaving that there. And, yeah. And isn't it hard to measure, too? It's, yeah, there is or, no no, me- with, no metrics. With that, yeah. There's just no way to it's, even know. Yeah. So we don't actually keep close track because there is no regulation. So without regulatory bodies or, you know, any scientists keeping eyes on it, um, yeah, it's just allowed to kind of go crazy and when you say natural gas like that sounds natural like it's okay and cool for the environment right like shouldn't yes yeah, isn't that better than carbon not, or not exactly it a bridge fuel? so definitely not a bridge fuel definitely not a bridge solution so the big difference between like these five four four or five however many like categories of greenhouse gases is the amount of time they stay in the atmosphere and their warming potential so one unit of carbon is considered a one global warming potential unit. So we measure all other gases against carbon. So carbon, X tons of gas, you know, will warm X amount of degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit, um, depending on where you are. And so we measure everything against carbon. So the problem with methane, so methane stays in the atmosphere only about 11 years but it warms at 46 global warming potential as compared to carbon. 
So carbon stays in the atmosphere, eh, about 80% of it for about 200 years, and the remainder takes thousands of years. But methane is this short, powerful, like, punch in the face um, for global warming. So that's why it's not a bridge fuel. Uh, if you're okay with heating up super fast, and then it, you know, the climate doesn't just cool down. It's not like it, you know, it's hard to shut that that thing off. It's like a, you know, big container ship, right? So that's kind of, not all gases are the same and we measure them in these different ways. So quantity is one thing, warming potential, and then, you know, their half-life um, or the amount of time they stay in the atmosphere. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the other two lesser greenhouse gases um, are the nitrous oxide, which is about 7% of our greenhouse gases in our atmosphere currently. And the big problem with nitrous oxide is it is the number one ozone depleter. Um, so ozone in the stratosphere protects us from UV rays. So protects our skin from skin cancer, that kind of thing. Um, so nitrous oxide depletes that. Um, sources are primarily nitrogen from crops and animal agriculture and from fossil fuel production. Um, so we could reduce that if we wanted to get together and do another... Yeah, Montreal-style Kyoto Protocol. Right, right. Imagine that. We worked together. Uh, so Which was successful. Very. Right? <laughs> it was successful. So governments can get together and like actually do something about this. I think a lot of people are like, what can we do? It's chaos. There's nothing that could possibly be done. But, oh, yeah. see, what do we do about it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just accept it. Yeah, it's because it wasn't politicized. It was like, oh, ozone, we need that. You know, we have to protect the ozone. Okay, great. There was we were able to act. Yeah, a yeah. lot of... The politics were not the same. So then nitrous oxide, as comparing again uh, with the global warming potential, so nitrous oxide is 273 times more potent than CO2 over a 100-year time scale. Um, it does have a half-life of a lot less. Um, the half-life is about 114 years. So if you look at that, nitrous oxide is exponentially you know, more warming and this has this half-life that's 114 years. So again, not a bridge fuel, not something we should scoff at, definitely something we should address. And then... Is that something where... What exactly are common sources of nitrous oxide? Primarily agriculture. Oh, that is as well? Yeah. Wow, okay. Well, future and, episode for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then fluorinated gases uh, are 3%. And they're a byproduct primarily of commercial production, primarily producing aluminum. And they're also found in your refrigerator and your air conditioner. And the amount that leaks from those sources, again, is not quantified because we don't keep track of that. We don't know if, you know, if you take your refrigerator, excuse me, to the dump, we don't know if that's then leaking, you know, a fluorinated gas. Or if you have, you know, high rises in New York City with a bunch of shitty air conditioners, mm -hmm. you don't know which ones are leaking. Nobody's keeping track of that kind of stuff. So that's another, you know, another source of <laughs> fluorinated gases. And then we talked about water vapor, right? Is that one I'm missing? Yeah. Oh, let's see. Two, two, two. I don't have, obviously, there's no half-life for water vapor in our atmosphere, but I don't know the exact warming potential of water vapor. Um, but this might be a good time to talk about those feedback loops. Yeah. I know, because that's kind of... a brief rundown of like the gases, why they matter, why, you know, we're primarily concerned about carbon because it's 80 some percent of our greenhouse gases. And, you know, we see it 
billowing out of our cars every single day. It seems like an easy, like that's the low hanging fruit. The other ones are a much smaller percentage, but they're uh, much more potent. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about feedback loops, we talk about climate change and feedback loops. A big misconception is that a positive feedback loop has a positive impact and that a negative feedback loop has a negative impact. And that is not true. Right. Is positive is this is the same as a reinforcing feedback loop? Is yeah, that right? Okay. Exactly. Okay, let's make sure. Yeah. So testing my yeah. skills <laughs> after I just took my finals. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> you got it. Aced it. Yeah, it's something that's people will be like, Oh, it's a positive feedback loop. That yeah, means it's good, good for us. <laughs> yeah. But positive and negative in that sense is subjective. So this is an objective metric. It, if it's positive, it reinforces. And so one thing uh, that's an easy example of a feedback loop in our climate is if you talk about albedo and ice in the Arctic. So albedo is a measure of reflectivity. Uh, so a high albedo means you reflect back a lot of that radiation that we talked about. You don't absorb it and then re-emit it. You just, it bounces off. Mm-hmm. And so like think about snow has a really high albedo. Um, so when you have ice around the Arctic, it has a really high albedo. And so it doesn't allow things to warm, but we have, um, as the planet itself gets warmer, the poles warm faster than the equator because the earth is always trying to distribute the heat. So you have a greater warming at the poles. So you have greater warming in the Arctic, which leads to thinner ice and thinner ice has a lower albedo, therefore allowing so in more heat. reflected out and yep. allows more, in more heat. Yeah. Say it louder. <laughs> Say it louder for the tape. <laughs> so yes, more is reflected, less is reflected out, which is going to reinforce Yep. That warming effect and so more is absorbed. Snowball for or unsnowballing <laughs> yeah, unsnowballing of the Arctic ice. <laughs> yeah. And the same is true of like Greenland and things like that. So you have places that are cold that these feedback loops are making it. So they're not as cold. They're just warming themselves in this dramatic feedback loop. So regarding the Arctic, that had been happening year after year after year. Arctic sea ice melting, reducing, you know, in size as measured by satellite. And in 2006, 2007, I want to say, the winds shifted just right and pushed a lot of that ice. So there wasn't a lot of ice accumulation, what we would expect in the winter. So there wasn't a good starting point. And that's when we saw basically a tipping point in the feedback loop where we're probably not going to ever gain Arctic ice as long as we're in this climate cycle. So that's one example. And feedback loops are happening all over the place and there are tipping points all over the place. But, okay, just a quick question. So wasn't there, uh, I think I saw this recently, there's there's trees growing in the Arctic suddenly? Because there's soil and sunlight. So the trees are going to suck up all the carbon and then we're going to be good again, right? No. No. (laughs) Definitely not. I wish. That'd be fantastic if it could work that way, but yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, yeah, a lot of people (laughs) think that that, is just going to even out somehow. And it's, that's just not the case. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) I just wanted to clarify. I just thought maybe we could touch on that Yale climate communication survey. How there's like, yeah. So break it down girl. Yeah. So we have (laughs) 33% of Americans are alarmed. So they are at the level of like, they support climate policies. They are probably like climate activists in some kind of way. And they, um, they understand, or, or at least like, believe the scientific consensus and are adequately alarmed based on like what the science says, the IPCC report saying we're in a code red for humanity. 
Um, we got to do something now. The window of time is closing. All of those things. So 33%, like, that's only a third of people. Um, but we do have this this 25% of people that are concerned, is what they call it, is, is the category. And um, it's kind of interesting because, so the the definition of this concerned group is they believe it's a serious threat. They support policies, but they think impacts are still distant. Um, so which once again, that's actually out of step with what the science is telling us. So there is still, even though what together that's, you know, about 50% of Americans like, um, are, you know, their alarm bells are raised to some degree, um, about climate change, but, people still aren't understanding that the impacts are now and they're just going to get worse. They still think that it's a distant, um, a distant reality or there's, there's, uh, some time lapse there. So that's why we want to cover, um, impacts that are happening now and today. So people understand and hopefully listeners can communicate that to others or share this podcast with others. Um, because we need the, we need everybody, we need as many regular Americans and people everywhere to understand, actually understand the science because there is something missing there. People aren't getting it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a frog in boiling water where you don't feel like, you know, you're, you're not feeling the effects yet and it's going to be catastrophic. Everybody says, well, okay, but it's not catastrophic today. And you have all these other, you know, more pressing obligations. You have job, kids, families, all these other things climate change yeah yeah okay it's a thing I agree but like what do you want me to do about it yeah and the media is not making a big deal out about it for the most part as well so yeah and no one's freaking out yet so you're just like all right let's keep doing what we're doing there's some time left you know but it's we not were, exactly the case yeah we actually are feeling impacts and we are the frogs in the boiling water and um I think you know most of you have felt these exact same things so just a few quick examples I think the Probably the biggest one is um, the heat wave from last year where we were, what, 117 degrees and people died. Yeah. And that was impossible. So the way we measure this in climatology is you run a climate model of what the climate looked like 100 years ago with all of those inputs and run it, you know, an infinity number of times to determine if you would ever spit out the data um, of a 117 degree day at our location. And it's impossible in our previous climate. In our current climate and with new research, it looks like we could have a heat wave like that every 10 years. So that could just be our norm. And so if that's our norm, then we look at what did that impact, what we viewed as a one-time thing, easy to, you know, write it out. We can sustain this. You know, we're all hot. And if you were lucky enough to not die from the heat. Yeah, because people died. Yeah. And we had massive... Um, shellfish die off off the Oregon coast. Uh, we had massive crop failure all over the place. We had our own like evergreen trees just singed all over the place. So that impacts our food system and that impacts food costs. So that's the, the biggest thing that we're feeling now that you probably aren't noticing is these impacts to agriculture all over the place because they are so dependent on known weather patterns in order to produce the food they produce and where they produce it. And so that's going to increase your food costs and you're not going to notice. You're going to blame, you know, Brandon or whoever because your food prices are going up. It's inflation. I mean, part of it's inflation, part of it's corporate price gouging and part of it's climate change. So we're also going to see 
let's see, do, do, do. Yeah, the mass shellfish die off. Um, we talked about on a previous episode, the crabs, crab season canceled in Alaska. Um, salmon runs have been canceled here where we're not allowed to fish the salmon because the rivers are too warm for the salmon. Uh, that's impacting, again, climate change impacting the food supply. It's directly impacting, you know, I would argue that's a national security issue too. If you no longer have an independent food supply. Right. That's a problem. Uh, we're also obviously... And the economy and jobs, you know. All of those things, <laughs> for yes. all the conservatives out there, like all these climate yes. change is, gonna, is impacting all of those things. We heard that at the Joe Kent event. I think Joe said this uh, in his debate that if it were up to me, like he wouldn't cancel the salmon season. I'm like... The, sa- the government didn't cancel the salmon season. The salmon season canceled itself. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was like you could go fish all the salmon and then we'd never have salmon in that river again. Exactly. Sure. But like he framed it like a jobs thing. Well, yeah, it is a jobs thing. It's also a climate thing. And it's about um, not just climate, but also caring for estuaries and rivers and, you know, river restoration and taking care of that native, you know, yeah, we have to be stewards and understand yes, how <laughs> how everything works in order to take care of it. And exactly. we can't just like... It's all symbiotic. Yeah. And so not just the, did the heat cause things to die off um, in our oceans, but also ocean acidification. So ocean acidification kills off, again, more species that we rely on for food. Um, the oceans actually absorb about 30% of the carbon, and then that leads to acidification. So we're ruining a lot of our you know if you eat shellfish or fish or you depend on that for you know your economy which we do here in the northwest that's going to be a big problem uh, so aside yeah. f- oh go ahead sorry oh i just said yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep or like <laughs> <laughs> or like something you might have noticed in your own garden i certainly did my persimmons so this year we had late snow right so things had budded out in the spring and then we had late snow in april Mm-hmm. And my persimmon and my plum trees just Our never... plum tree too. Yeah. yeah. I just never fruited. And it doesn't have the energy to fruit. And so it might be a biennial where it blooms every two years instead of every one year. Um, I didn't get, you know, hardly any of my blueberries. Like, so in with greater temperature variation and in more heat, you see a lower yield of your crop. So whether that's at your home or if you're, you know, an industrial agriculture producer, you're going to see reduced crop. So you're going to have greater costs for, you know, employees and higher inputs for fertilizer. And, you know, you have labor and transportation and all these things and you're going to have lower yields. So prices are going to go up and you're still probably going to lose money. So again, that's impacting us economically already all the time. So I think that's probably the big one that nobody is noticing um, in our area specifically. Yeah. And some other kind of interesting meteorological impacts. So I think we talked about that the um, tropical cyclone season started late this year and went late. And actually today, so we're recording on Monday, December 12th. Today, there is what we would consider a very noteworthy um, forecast from the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma, This was a very, very confident agreement that we're going to have supercell thunderstorms, um, a pretty significant outbreak in the Midwest today uh, through Oklahoma, part of Texas, um, all of Arkansas, and part of New Orleans. That is unheard of in December. Did you say supercell? What did you say? Yeah, supercell thunderstorm. So supercell thunderstorms are the kind that produce 
um, tornadoes. Sorry. <laughs> I turned oh, into shit. like, so this, I'm talking <laughs> about a huge tornado outbreak in oh, December. Holy crap. So what? tornado season is usually in the spring. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's December. It's, it would be very noteworthy in April or May. And this is a very severe outbreak predicted. I haven't looked today. There might be, um, tornadoes on the ground right now that I'm not aware of in December. Totally unheard of. Um, and one of the big things that sparks, um, tornadoes is when you have a really high dew points or high moisture in the air uh, that comes in from the Gulf. And this time of year, you don't usually have that, but in a warming climate, now we have really, really high dew points, really high moisture set up in the Southern part of the United States. And we call it the soup because the air is so thick, it's soupy. And so that what has, that has to be in place or to, for really good tornadic development that's in place before you have a dry line come through and it's those difference in temperature and uh, moisture characteristics of the air masses that cause the storms. So we're seeing that in December, which is terrifying. <laughs> I oh mean, so God. that's just like what I pulled from like this week. Okay. What's happening today? And there it is. Uh, so any meteorologist is going to shit themselves when they see that because <laughs> it's so abnormal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and that's today. And yeah. <laughs> the, the, the consensus and the prediction is that these, this is another instance of something that keep getting worse. Yeah. This yeah. is another instance of something that was impossible in previous, um, climate models. It just wouldn't occur. We're just breaking records. Yeah. All, all over, over the place. place. Okay. I mean, yeah. we'll see what kind of outbreaks happen today. And like, this is going to be really good for my students to look at in winter quarter. Um, to connect it to climate because it is so it's hard to connect things directly to climate. It's getting easier when you have something like this, that's so out of the norm. Yeah. And if you literally can't produce it in a climate model from the climate of a hundred years ago, that's a direct connection. Right. Right. So those are kind of the big, the big ones I have. Um, Cause mostly I think, yeah, it's food system, economic impacts from that things that you're not thinking about. Is there anything I'm, forgetting. I know there's, there's a ton more, but I just haven't, I don't keep a running list. I don't want to depress myself. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just once again, a, a local impact, obviously yeah. the fires that I oh, mean, duh. I, yeah. <laughs> Wildfire. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously like when the, when was the Nakia Creek fire that was like not even that long ago and we had August, like heat September. into October didn't we like, yeah we were 87 degrees at the end of October and then went straight to cold like very cold like, snap. like 30s yeah. yeah we had no fall essentially which also was impacting all of our you know our crops and mm-hmm. um, like things like camellias aren't blooming yet and things like that you might notice in your yard that are delayed and wildfires are directly like you can there's a direct correlation between wildfire acreage burned and the deficit of water vapor in the air. So just because we have more water vapor in the air globally doesn't mean we do locally. And so you can look at the deficit of water vapor in your area, your state, your region, and that correlates pretty directly. So just drier, drier air. And then that is primed. Yeah. leads to drier fuels. And then, yeah, the greater the, you know, the moisture deficit in the atmosphere, the greater the moisture deficit in the soil and in, <clears throat> excuse me, all the, you know, all the fuel on the ground, all the trees, all the shrubs, all that kind of stuff. So obviously wildfire. Sorry. That seems. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just talking out of my ass oh, over here. Definitely not. That's <laughs> like you got something to say on that one. Like Cindy? the glaring. 
<laughs> the glaring deficit. So yeah, that's a lot of impacts here that yeah we're and, feeling and and yeah seeing right here in the U.S. as you said. So yeah, I'm really I got distracted by the the tornadic event. Um, that's uh, looking right now at dew points and it's insane. So. And that, and then we have things like, you know, Keystone that just leaked again in Kansas. Did you oh, see that? Oh, great. No. Yeah. So Keystone is shot out 600,000 gallons. Um, it's tar sands. So tar sands oil is harder to clean up. You don't really clean it up. You just scrape off the top so it looks better to the people. And then you work on like riparian stream damage um, for probably a hundred years in this area of Kansas. So that's another, another thing that when we're shipping oil around we do have these oil spills and uh, pipeline leaks for pipelines that are used again this is the xl pipeline so that xl stands for export so this isn't any oil that's coming from our country or to our country to be used for anything they're just using our land to transport it and using our ecosystems to sop up their spilled oil and yeah when those spill those that affects the local economy of the area i imagine and their and like access the, to the water they drink yes. and <laughs> yeah yeah the the effects are abundant unfortunately so, yeah effects on americans america first yeah America first. <laughs> America first. Let's let Canada export our exactly. oil right yes. through our our Midwest. Let's build some pipelines and just risk it. Put huh? our residents in danger yeah. and let's roll the dice. Them over with yeah. Or we have like the trains. Yeah. yeah. Or the bomb trains. So we didn't talk about that either. That's another risk that happens just because of our um, reliance on fossil fuel. So you have trains that are transporting highly flammable, you know, oil and uh, gas, and they're. They call them bomb trains because specifically here, Portland PD and Vancouver PD came out probably four or five years ago now and said they do not have the capacity to put out a fire that one of those trains would cause if it derailed. So train derailment isn't unheard of. And now we know... Didn't that happen in Mosher, Oregon? That's yep. what we were referring to when we were everybody yeah. was fighting against the oil turbo here because exactly. that wasn't even that long ago when we were... Yeah, yeah, we had a derailment there. And I think that was luckily just one car. But that's not always the case. If it train right. derails, it can be more than one car. And we know our rail systems are super safe now that we have <laughs> fucked know, over now rail that workers. We have minimal people yeah. fucking driving them and they're they could be sick because yeah. they don't have sick days. You and have like two people on a three mile train now. And yeah. Like just assume that's safe. And those are, you know, rolling down Highway fourteen. Take a look. You know, mm -hmm. they look like a big oil those, tanker. Yeah. Those go over uh, right by my work or yeah. my old work on the waterfront but yeah <laughs> it's a bomb train just hanging out waving yeah, hi just yeah. wait i mean i'm sure if you guys have something you think might be related to climate change or have a question if it is leave us a comment let, yeah let me know because yeah i got I'm like distracted by the meteorology today i'm sure there's way way more impacts i'm totally forgetting and i also love the question like is this connected to climate change and chances are you can find a connection to climate how climate's impacting something you love um, the easy one is like, if you love to ski or snowboard, but whatever it is you love, it's probably going to be touched in some way by this. Mm -hmm. So with that, <laughs> with all that depressing news, happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been your climate <laughs> series number two. Hey, but well, this stuff was, this stuff is really fascinating. It's really good to know 
yeah, it's depressing, but it's also empowering to know this stuff, like to know it and to know that we can do something about it. And there's like better, there's obviously better options than having fucking bomb train trains riding around. And yeah. (laughs) One Uh, thing we could highlight here is our city council here in Vancouver passed the climate action plan. You guys, it's, they approved it, which is amazing. Um, the most forward thinking plan in the country. And so if you care about that, like take a second to write to them, shout them out on social media, whatever it is to let them know that we support them. I am so proud that we live here, that they did How that. amazing. Yeah. And so that's one step in changing the way we live and we can talk about, you know, how, how that plan truly addresses climate change, all the things we need later, but it's truly going to be transformative um, when implemented. So huge win. We can end on a positive. Maybe. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Leading the nation. Yeah. And then probably what's next for the climate series is going to be, we're going to do biggest contributor contributors, which is fascinating as well. And it allows us to prioritize like, what we should be fighting against and then after that climate solutions i mean we could there's freaking climate solutions like never ending like yeah. we, like those are always they're really all, exciting and positive stories and there are also false solutions so we'll yeah we okay <laughs> yeah there will be yeah that's true that's not, very true <laughs> not every solution's a good solution yeah there's some bullshit like, we're not solutions. geoengineering our way out of this i'm just gonna mm-hmm. put the kibosh on yep. that right now <laughs> yes yeah 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 but yeah, we'll get into some positive stuff. And then, yeah. of course, with actions always. So we don't really have an action for today. There's kind of a lull between the holidays. Um, yeah, we're trying to figure out what's next. We're in touch with like the, the local advocates here. So hopefully we can like provide you guys with some stuff. Should be some exciting, cool stuff. But in the meantime, we love the interaction. Let us know if there's anything you want to see, any questions you have. We have to talk about it. Very, very, very.